Section 23 of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 23. Sunday. This blessed day all the family seemed to take delight to equip themselves for the celebration of the Sabbath in the little chapel, and Lady Jones and Mr. Williams came in her chariot, and the two Misses Darnford in their own, and we breakfasted together in a most agreeable manner. My dear father appeared quite spruce and neat, and was quite caressed by the three ladies. As we were at breakfast, my master told Mr. Williams, We must let the Psalms alone. He doubted for want of a clerk. But Mr. Williams said, No, nothing should be wanting that he could supply. My father said, If it might be permitted him, he would, as well as he was able, perform that office, for it was always what he had taken delight in. And as I knew he had learnt psalmody formally in his youth, and had constantly practised it in private at home on Sunday evenings, as well as endeavoured to teach it in the little school he so unsuccessfully set up, at the beginning of his misfortunes, before he took to hard labour. I was in no pain for his undertaking it in this little congregation. They seemed much pleased with this, and so we went to chapel, and made a pretty tolerable appearance. Mrs. Jukes and all the servants attending but the cook, and I never saw divine service performed with more solemnity, nor assisted at with greater devotion and decency, my master, Lady Jones, and the two misses setting a lovely example. My good father performed his part with great applause, making the responses as if he had been a practised parish clerk, and giving the twenty-third psalm. The Lord is only my support, and he that doth me feed. How can I then lack anything, whereof I stand in need? In pastures green he feedeth me, where I do safely lie, and after leads me to the streams, which run most pleasantly. And when I find myself near lost, then home he doth me take, conducting me in his right paths, ein for his own name's sake. And though I were ein at death's door, yet would I fear no ill, for both thy rod and shepherd's crook afford me comfort still. Thou hast my table richly spread in presence of my foe. Thou hast my head with balm refreshed. My cup doth overflow. And finally, while breath doth last, thy grace shall me defend. And in the house of God will I my life for ever spend. Which consisted of but three staves. We had it all, and he read the line, and began the tune with a heart so entirely affected with the duty, that he went through it distinctly, calmly, and fervently at the same time, so that Lady Jones whispered me, That good man were fit for all companies, and present to every laudable occasion. And Miss Darnford said, God bless the dear good man. You must think how I rejoiced in my mind. I know, my dear mother, you can say most of the shortest psalms by heart, so I need not transcribe it, especially as your chief treasure is a Bible, and a worthy treasure it is. I know nobody makes more or better use of it. Mr. Williams gave us an excellent discourse on liberality and generosity, 
and the blessings attending the right use of riches from the eleventh chapter of proverbs verses twenty four and twenty five there is that scattereth and yet increaseth and there is that withholdeth more than is meet but it tendeth to poverty the liberal soul shall be made fat and he that watereth shall be watered also himself and he treated the subject in so handsome a manner that my master's delicacy who at first was afraid of some personal compliments was not offended mr williams judiciously keeping to generals and it was an elegant and sensible discourse as my master said my father was in the clerk's place just under the desk and lady jones by her footman whispered him to favour us with another psalm when the sermon was ended he thinking as he said afterwards that the former was rather of the longest chose the shortest in the book which you know is the one hundred seventeenth o all ye nations of the world praise ye the lord always and all ye people everywhere set forth his noble praise for great his kindness is to us his truth doth not decay wherefore praise ye the lord our god praise ye the lord alway my master thanked mr williams for his excellent discourse and so did the ladies as also did i most heartily and he was pleased to take my dear father by the hand as did also mr williams and thanked him the ladies likewise made him their compliments and the servants all looked upon him with countenances of respect and pleasure at dinner do what i could i was forced to take the upper end of the table and my master sat at the lower end between mr williams and my father and he said pamela you are so dexterous that i think you may help the ladies yourself and i will help my two good friends i should have told you though that i dressed myself in a flowered satin that was my lady's and looked quite fresh and good and which was given me at first by my master and the ladies who had not seen me out of my homespun before made me abundance of fine compliments as soon as they saw me first talking of the psalms just after dinner my master was very naughty if i may say so for he said to my father mr andrews i think in the afternoon as we shall have only prayers we may have one longer psalm and what think you of the one hundred thirty-seventh oh good sir said i pray pray not a word more say what you will pamela said he you shall sing it to us according to your own version before these good ladies go away my father smiled but was half concerned for me and said will it bear and please your honour oh ay said he never fear it so long as mrs jukes is not in the hearing this excited all the ladies curiosity and lady jones said she would be loath to desire to hear anything that would give me concern but should be glad i would give leave for it indeed madam said i i must beg you won't insist upon it i cannot bear it you shall see it indeed ladies said my master and pray pamela not always as you please neither then pray sir said i not in my hearing i hope sure pamela returned he you would not write what is not fit to be heard 
"'But, sir,' said I, "'there are particular cases, times, and occasions "'that may make a thing passable at one time "'that would not be tolerable at another.' "'Oh,' said he, "'let me judge of that as well as you, Pamela. "'These ladies know a good part of your story, "'and let me tell you what they know is more to your credit than mine, "'so that if I have no averseness to reviving the occasion, "'you may very well bear it,' said he. "'I will put you out of your pain, Pamela. "'Here it is,' and took it out of his pocket. "'I stood up and said, "'Indeed, sir, I can't bear it. "'I hope you'll allow me to leave the room a minute, "'if you will read it.' "'Indeed, but I won't,' answered he. "'Lady Jones said, "'Pray, good sir, don't let us hear it "'if Mrs. Andrews be so unwilling.' "'Well, Pamela,' said my master, "'I will put it to your choice whether I shall read it now, "'or you will sing it by and by.' "'That's very hard, sir,' said I. "'It must be one, I assure you,' said he. "'Why then, sir,' replied I, "'you must do as you please, for I cannot sing it.' "'Well, then,' said my master, "'I find I must read it, and yet,' added he, "'after all,' I had as well let it alone, for it is no great reputation to myself. Oh, then, said Miss Darnford, pray let us hear it, to choose. Why, then, proceeded he, the case was this. Pamela, I find, when she was in the time of her confinement, that is, added he, when she was taken prisoner in order to make me one, for that is the upshot of the matter, in the journal she kept, which was intended for nobody's perusal but her parents, tells them that she was importuned one Sunday by Mrs. Jukes to sing a psalm, but her spirits not permitting, she declined it. But after Mrs. Jukes was gone down, she says, she recollected that the 137th psalm was applicable to her own case, Mrs. Jukes having often on other days in vain besought her to sing a song that thereupon she turned it more to her own supposed case, and believing Mrs. Jukes had a design against her honour, and looking upon her as her jailer, she thus gives her version of this psalm. But pray, Mr. Williams, do you read one verse of the common translation, and I will read one of Pamela's. Then Mr. Williams, pulling out his little pocket common prayer book, read the first two stanzas when we did sit in babylon the rivers round about then in remembrance of sion the tears for grief burst out we hanged our harps and instruments the willow trees upon for in that place men for that use had planted many a one my master then read when sad i sat in b in hall all guarded round about and thought of every absent friend the tears for grief burst out my joys and hopes all overthrown my heart-strings almost broke unfit my mind for melody much more to bear a joke the lady said it was very pretty and miss darnford that somebody else had more need to be concerned than the versifier i knew said my master i should get no credit by showing this but let us read on, Mr. Williams. So Mr. Williams read. Then they, to whom we prisoners were, said to us tauntingly, Now let us hear your Hebrew songs and pleasant melody. 
Now this, said my master, is very near, and read. Then she to whom I prisoner was, said to me tauntingly, Now cheer your heart, and sing a song, and tune your mind to joy. Mighty sweet, said Mr. Williams, but let us see how the next verse is turned. It is this. Alas, said we, who can once frame, his heavy heart to sing, the praises of our living God, thus under a strange king? Why, said my master, it is turned with beautiful simplicity. Thus, alas, said I, how can I frame my heavy heart to sing, or tune my mind while thus enthralled by such a wicked thing? Very pretty, said Mr. Williams. Lady Jones said, Oh, dear madam, could you wish that we should be deprived of this new instance of your genius and accomplishments? Oh, said my dear father, you will make my good child proud. No, said my master very generously, Pamela can't be proud, for no one is proud to hear themselves praised but those who are not used to it. But proceed, Mr. Williams. He read, But yet, if I, Jerusalem, out of my heart let slide, then let my fingers quite forget the warbling harp to guide. Well now, said my master, for Pamela's version. But yet, if from my innocence I even and thought should slide, then let my fingers quite forget the sweet spinet to guide. Mr. Williams read, And let my tongue within my mouth be tied for ever fast, if I rejoice before I see thy full deliverance past. This also, said my master, is very near. And let my tongue within my mouth be locked for ever fast, if I rejoice before I see my full deliverance past. Now, good sir, said I, oblige me, don't read any further, pray don't. Oh, pray, madam, said Mr. Williams, let me beg to have the rest read, for I long to know whom you make the sons of Edom, and how you turn the psalmist's execrations against the insulting Babylonians. Well, Mr. Williams, replied I, you should not have said so. Oh, said my master, that is one of the best things of all. Poor Mrs. Jukes stands for Edom's sons, and we must not lose this because I think it one of my Pamela's excellencies that, though thus oppressed, she prays for no harm upon the oppressor. Read, Mr. Williams, the next stanza. So he read, Therefore, O Lord, remember now the cursed noise and cry that Edom's sons against us made when they raised our city. Remember, Lord, their cruel words, when with a mighty sound they cried, Down, yea, down with it, unto the very ground. Well, said my master, here seems, in what I am going to read, a little bit of a curse indeed, but I think it makes no ill figure in the comparison. And thou, almighty, recompense the evils I endure from those who seek my sad disgrace so costless to procure. And now, said he, for Edom's sons, though a little severe in the imputation. Remember, Lord, this Mrs. Jukes, when with a mighty sound she cries down with her chastity, down to the very ground. Sure, sir, said I, 
this might have been spared. But the ladies and Mr. Williams said, No, by no means, and I see the poor wicked woman has no favours among them. Now, said my master, read the psalmist's heavy curses, and Mr. Williams read, Even so shalt thou, O Babylon, at length to dust be brought, and happy shall that man be called that our revenge hath wrought. Yea, blessed shall the man be called that takes thy little ones, and dasheth them in pieces small against the very stones. Thus, he said, very kindly, has my Pamela turned these lines. Even so shalt thou, O wicked one, at length to shame be brought, and happy shall all those be called that my deliverance wrought. Yea, blessed shall the man be called that shames thee of thy evil, and saves me from thy vile attempts, and thee, too, from the devil. I fancy this blessed man, said my master, smiling, was at that time hoped to be you, Mr. Williams, if the truth was known. Sir, said he, whoever it was intended for then, it can be nobody but your good self now. I could hardly hold up my head for the praises the kind ladies were pleased to heap upon me. I am sure by this they are very partial in my favour, all because my master is so good to me, and loves to hear me praised. For I see no such excellence in these lines as they would make me believe, besides what is borrowed from the psalmist. We all, as before, and the cook-maid too, attended the prayers of the church in the afternoon, and my dear father concluded with the following stanzas of the 165th Psalm, suitably magnifying the holy name of God for all mercies, but did not observe altogether the method in which they stand, which was the less necessary, he thought, as he gave out the lines. The Lord is just in all his ways, his works are holy all, and he is near all those that do in truth upon him call. He the desires of all them that fear him will fulfill, and he will hear them when they cry, and save them all he will. The eyes of all do wait on thee, thou dost them all relieve, and thou to each sufficient food in season due dost give. Thou openest thy plenteous hand, and bounteously dost fill all things whatever that do live, with gifts of thy good will. My thankful mouth shall gladly speak the praises of the Lord. All flesh, to praise his holy name, for ever shall accord. We walked in the garden till tea was ready, and as he went by the back door, my master said to me, Of all the flowers in the garden, the sunflower is the fairest. Oh, sir, said I, let that be now forgot. Mr. Williams heard him say so, and seemed a little out of countenance. Whereupon my master said, I mean not to make you serious, Mr. Williams, but we see how strangely things are brought about. I see other scenes hereabouts that, in my Pamela's dangers, give me more cause of concern than anything you ever did should give you. Sir, said he, you are very generous. My master and Mr. Williams afterwards walked together for a quarter of an hour, and talked about general things, and some scholastic subjects, 
and joined us very well pleased with one another's conversation. Lady Joan said, putting herself on one side of me, as my master was on the other, "'But pray, sir, when is the happy time to be? We want it over, that we may have you with us as long afterwards as you can,' said my master. "'I would have it to-morrow or next day at farthest, if Pamela will.' for I have sent for a license, and the messenger will be here to-night, or early in the morning, I hope. But, added he, pray, Pamela, do not take beyond Thursday. She was pleased to say, Sure it will not be delayed by you, madam, more than needs. Well, said he, now you are on my side. I will leave you with her to settle it, and, I hope, she will not let little bashful niceties be important with her. And so he joined the two misses. Lady Jones told me I was to blame. She would take upon her to say, if I delayed it a moment, because she understood Lady Davers was very uneasy at the prospect, that it would be so, and if anything should happen, it would be a sad thing. Madam, said I, when he was pleased to mention it to me first, he said it should be in fourteen days, and afterwards asked me if I would have it in the first or the second seven. I answered, for how could I do otherwise? In the second. He desired it might not be the last day of the second seven. Now, madam, said I, as he was then pleased to speak his mind, no doubt, I would not for anything seem too forward. Well, but, said she, as he now urges you in so genteel and gentlemanly a manner for a shorter day, I think, if I was in your place, I would agree to it. She saw me hesitate and blush, and said, Well, you know best. But I say only what I would do. I said I would consider of it, and if I saw he was very earnest, to be sure I should think I ought to oblige him. Mrs. Darnford were begging to be at the wedding, and to have a ball, and they said, Pray, Mrs. Andrews, second our requests, and we shall be greatly obliged to you. Indeed, ladies, said I, I cannot promise that, if I might. Why so? said they. Because, answered I, I know not what. But I think one may, with pleasure, celebrate an anniversary of one's nuptials, but the day itself, indeed, ladies, I think it is too solemn a business, for the parties of our sex to be very gay upon. It is a quite serious and awful affair, and I am sure, in your own cases, you would be of my mind. Why, then, said Miss Darnford, the more need one has to be as light-hearted and merry as one can. I told you, said my master, what sort of an answer you'd have from Pamela. The younger miss said she never heard of such grave folks in her life on such an occasion. Why, sir, said she, I hope you'll sing psalms all day, and miss will fast and pray. Such sackcloth and ashes doings for a wedding did I never hear of. She spoke a little spitefully, I thought, and I returned no answer. I shall have enough to do, I reckon, in a while, if I am to answer every one that will envy me. We went in to tea, 
and all that the ladies could prevail upon my master for was a dancing-match before he left this county. But Miss Darnford said it should then be at their house, for truly, if she might not be at the wedding, she would be affronted, and come no more hither till we had been there. When they were gone, my master would have had my father stay till the affair was over, but he begged he might set out as soon as it was light in the morning. For, he said, my mother would be doubly uneasy at his stay, and he burned with impatience to let her know all the happy things that had befallen her daughter. When my master found him so desirous to go, he called Mr. Thomas, and ordered him to get a particular bay-horse ready betimes in the morning for my father, and a portmanteau to put his things in, and to attend him a day's journey, and if, said he, Mr. Andrews chooses it, see him safe to his own home, and, added he, since that horse will serve you, Mr. Andrews, to ride backwards and forwards to see us, when we go into Bedfordshire, I make you a present of it, with the accoutrements. And, seeing my father going to speak, he added, I won't be said nay. Oh, how good was this! He also said a great many kind things at supper-time, and gave him all the papers he had of mine, but desired, when he and my mother had read them, that he would return them to him again. And then he said, So affectionate a father and daughter may, perhaps be glad to be alone together. Therefore remember me to your good wife, and tell her, It will not be long, I hope, before I see you together, on a visit to your daughter, at my other house. And so I wish you good night, and a good journey, if you go before I see you. And then he shook hands, and left my dear father almost unable to speak, through the sense of his favours and goodness. You may believe, my dear mother, how loath I was to part with my good father, and he was also unwilling to part with me. But he was so impatient to see you, and tell you the blessed tidings with which his heart overflowed, that I could hardly wish to detain him. Mrs. Jukes brought two bottles of cherry brandy, and two of cinnamon water, and some cake, and they were put up in the portmanteau with my father's newly presented clothes, for he said he would not for anything be seen in them in his neighbourhood till I was actually known by everybody to be married, nor would he lay out any part of the twenty guineas till then neither, for fear of reflections, and then he would consult me as to what he would buy. Well, said I, as you please, my dear father, and I hope now we shall often have the pleasure of hearing from one another without needing any art or contrivances. He said he would go to bed betimes, that he might be up as soon as it was light, and so he took leave of me and said he would not love me if I got up in the morning to see him go, which would but make us both loath to part and grieve us both all day. Mr. Thomas brought him a pair of boots, and told him he would call him up at the peep of day, and put up everything overnight, and so I received his blessing and his prayers, and his kind promises of procuring the same from you, my dear mother, and went up to my closet with a heavy heart, and yet a half-pleased one, if I may so say, for that, as he must go, he was going to the best of wives, and with the best of tidings. But I begged he would not work so hard as he had done, 
for I was sure my master would not have given him twenty guineas for clothes if he had not designed to do something else for him, and that he should be the less concerned at receiving benefits from my good master, because he, who had so many persons to employ in his large possessions, could make him serviceable to a degree equivalent without hurting anybody else. He promised me fair, and, pray, dear mother, see he performs. I hope my master will not see this, for I will not send it you, at present, till I can send you the best of news, and the rather as my dear father can supply the greatest part of what I have written, since the papers he carries you, by his own observation. So good night, my dear mother, and God send my father a safe journey, and a happy meeting to you both. Monday. Mr. Colbrand being returned, my master came up to me to my closet, and brought me the license. Oh, how my heart fluttered at the sight of it! Now, Pamela, said he, tell me, if you can oblige me with the day. Your word is all that's wanting. I made bold to kiss his dear hand, and, though unable to look up, said, I know not what to say, sir, to all your goodness. I would not, for any consideration, that you should believe me capable of receiving negligently an honour, that all the duty of a long life, were it to be lent me, will not be sufficient to enable me to be grateful for. I ought to resign myself in everything I may or can implicitly to your will. But, but what? said he, with a kind impatience. Why, sir, said I, when from last Thursday you mentioned four days, I had reason to think that term your choice, and my heart is so wholly yours that I am afraid of nothing but that I may be forwarder than you wish. Impossible, my dear creature, said he, and folded me in his arms. Impossible! If this be all, it shall be set about this moment, and this happy day shall make you mine. I'll send away instantly, said the dear gentleman, and was going. I said, No, pray, sir, pray, sir, hear me. Indeed, it cannot be to-day. Cannot? said he. No, indeed, sir, said I, and was ready to sink to see his generous impatience. Why flattered you then my fond heart, replied he, with the hope that it might. Sir, said I, I will tell you what I had thought, if you'll vouchsafe me your attention. Do then, said he. I have, sir, proceeded I, a great desire that, whenever the day is, it may be on a Thursday. On a Thursday my dear father and mother were married, and though poor, they are a very happy pair. On a Thursday your poor Pamela was born. On a Thursday my dear good lady took me from my parents into her protection. On a Thursday, sir, you caused me to be carried away to this place, to which I now by God's goodness and your favour, owe so amazingly all my present prospects. And on a Thursday it was, you named to me, that fourteen days from that you would confirm my happiness. Now, sir, if you please to indulge my superstitious folly, you will greatly oblige me. I was sorry, sir, for this reason, when you bid me not defer till the last day of the fourteen, 
that thursday in next week was that last day this pamela is a little superstitious i must needs say and i think you should begin now to make another day in the week a happy one as for example on a monday may you say my father and mother concluded to be married on the thursday following on a monday so many years ago my mother was preparing all her matters to be brought to bed on the thursday following on a monday several weeks ago it was that you had but two days more to stay till you was carried away on thursday on a monday i myself said he well remember it was that i wrote you the letter that prevailed on you so kindly to return to me and on the same day you did return to my house here which i hope my girl will be as propitious an era as any you have named and now lastly will you say which will crown the work and on a monday i was married come come my dear added he thursday has reigned long enough a conscience let us now set monday in its place or at least on an equality with it since you see it has a very good title and as we now stand in the week before us claims priority and then i hope we shall make tuesday wednesday friday saturday and sunday as happy days as monday and thursday and so by god's blessing move round as the days move in a delightful circle till we are at a loss what day to prefer to the rest oh how charmingly was this said and how sweetly kind indeed sir said i you rally my folly very agreeably but don't let a little matter stand in the way when you are so generously obliging and a greater indeed i like thursday best if i may choose well then said he if you can say you have a better reason than this i will oblige you else i'll send away for the parson this moment and so i protest he was going dear sirs how i trembled stay stay sir said i we have a great deal to say first i have a deal of silly prat to trouble you with well say then in a minute replied he the most material for all we have to say may be talked of while the parson is coming oh but indeed and indeed said i it cannot be to-day well then shall it be to-morrow said he why sir if it must not be on a thursday you have given so many pleasant distinctions for a monday that let it then be next monday what a week still said he sir answered i if you please for that will be as you enjoined within the second seven days why girl said he twill be seven months till next monday let it said he if not to-morrow be on wednesday i protest i will stay no longer then sir returned i please to defer it however for one day more and it will be my beloved thursday if i consent to defer it till then may i hope my pamela said he that next thursday shall certainly be the happy day yes sir said i and i am sure i looked very foolishly and yet my dear father and mother why should i with such a fine gentleman 
and whom I so dearly love, and so much to my honour too, but there is something greatly awful upon my mind, in the solemn circumstance, and a change of condition never to be recalled, though all the prospects are so desirable, and I can but wonder at the thoughtless precipitancy with which most young folks run into this important change of life. So now, my dear parents, have I been brought to fix so near a day as next Thursday, and this is Monday. Oh, dear, it makes one out of breath almost to think of it. This, though, was a great cut-off a whole week out of ten days. I hope I am not too forward. I'm sure if it obliges my dear master, I am justified, for he deserves of me all things in my poor power. After this he rode out on horseback, attended by Abraham, and did not return till night. How by degrees things steal upon one! I thought even this small absence tedious, and the more, as we expected him home to dinner. I wish I may not be too fond, and make him indifferent, but yet, my dear father and mother, you were always fond of one another, and never indifferent. Let the world run as it would. When he returned, he said, he had had a pleasant ride, and was led out to a greater distance than he intended. At supper he told me that he had a great mind Mr. Williams should marry us, because, he said, it would show a thorough reconciliation on his part. But, said he, most generously, I am apprehensive, from what passed between you, that the poor man will take it hardly, and as a sort of insult, which I am not capable of. What says my girl? Do you think he would? I hope not, sir, said I. As to what he may think, I can't answer. But as to any reason for his thoughts, I can. For indeed, sir, said I, you have been already so generous, that he cannot, I think, mistake your goodness. He then spoke with some resentment of Lady Daver's behaviour, and I asked if anything new had occurred. Yes, said he, I have had a letter delivered me from her impertinent husband, professedly at her instigation, that amounted to little less than a piece of insolent bravery on supposing I was about to marry you. I was so provoked, added he, that after I had read it I tore it in a hundred pieces and scattered them in the air, and bid the man who brought it let his master know what I had done with his letter, and so would not permit him to speak to me, as he would fain have done. I think the fellow talked somewhat of his lady coming hither, but she shall not set her foot within my doors, and I suppose this treatment will hinder her. I was much concerned at this, and he said, Had I a hundred sisters, Pamela, their opposition should have no weight with me, and I did not intend you should know it, but you can't but expect a little difficulty from the pride of my sister, who have suffered so much from that of her brother, and we are too nearly allied in mind, as well as blood, I find. But this is not her business, and if she would have made it so, she should have done it with more decency. Little occasion had she to boast of her birth, that knows not what belongs to good manners. I said, I am very sorry, sir, to be the unhappy occasion of a misunderstanding between so good a brother and so worthy a sister. 
don't say so, Pamela, because this is an unavoidable consequence of the happy prospect before us. Only bear it well yourself, because she is my sister, and leave it to me to make her sensible of her own rashness. If, sir, said I, the most lowly behaviour and humble deportment, and in everything showing a dutiful regard to good Lady Davers, will have any weight with her ladyship, assure yourself of all in my power to mollify her. No, Pamela, returned he, don't imagine, when you are my wife, I will suffer you to do anything unworthy of that character. I know the duty of a husband, and will protect your gentleness to the utmost, as much as if you were a princess by descent. You are inexpressibly good, sir, said I, but I am far from taking a gentle disposition to show a meanness of spirit, and this is a trial I ought to expect, and well I may bear it, that have so many benefits to set against it, which all spring from the same cause. Well, said he, all the matter shall be this. We will talk of our marriage as a thing to be done next week. I find I have spies upon me wherever I go, and whatever I do. But now I am on so laudable a pursuit, that I value them not, nor those who employ them. I have already ordered my servants to have no conference with anybody for ten or twelve days to come. And Mrs. Jukes tells me every one names Thursday come same night for our nuptials. So I will get Mr. Peters, who wants to see my little chapel, to assist Mr. Williams, under the notion of breakfasting with me next Thursday morning, since you won't have it sooner, and there will nobody else be wanting, and I will beg of Mr. Peters to keep it private, even from his own family, for a few days. Has my girl any objection? Oh, sir, answered I, you are so generous in all your ways. I can have no objections. But I hope Lady Davers and you will not proceed to irreconcilable links, and when her ladyship comes to see you, and to tarry with you, two or three weeks, as she used to do, I will keep close up, so as not to disgust her with the sight of me. Well, Pamela, said he, we will talk of that afterwards. You must do, then, as I shall think fit, and I should be able to judge what both you and I ought to do. But what still aggravates the matter is, that she should instigate the titled ape her husband to write to me, after she had so little succeeded herself. I wish I had kept his letter, that I might have shown you how a man, that generally acts like a fool, can take upon him to write like a lord. But I suppose it is of my sister's pinning, and he, poor man, is the humble copier. End of section 23